Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 423. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 423. Our first sponsor thanks today goes to Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August, and even September. Arctic Alaska Peonies operates three pack houses, supplying peonies throughout the United States and Canada. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Julie Christina of the Christina Flower Company in Bristol, Rhode Island. Listen for my conversation with Julie in the second portion of this episode. I met up with New York City-based floral entrepreneur Taylor Patterson while spending a few days in New York and Brooklyn, actually while I was en route to join the festivities at Holly Chapel's Flower Stock in Virginia later on. And I'm so incredibly glad for the time I spent with Taylor, today's featured guest. I adore Taylor. I'm enthralled with what she has accomplished through Fox Fodder Farm, her urban floral design business, which has multiple services and an elegant, high-style, yet farm and seasonally inspired aesthetic. To learn about the origin of her business name, Fox Fodder Farm, well, you'll have to listen in to hear from Taylor herself. She has developed the business over the past eight years, evolving it into a studio that serves weekly business accounts, local floral deliveries, wedding and special events, and a small retail kiosk at Canal Street Market. I met Taylor this past March at the beautiful and inspiring Gathering Rose Workshop, which was hosted by Danielle Hahn of Rose Story Farm and Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flower, and held at Rose Story Farm in Carpinteria outside of Santa Barbara. It was a -a one-of-a-kind creative event focused entirely on the rose, growing cultivation, selection, and design. As I mentioned during my conversation with Taylor, my story about the workshop appears in a recent issue of Florist Review, so I'll be sure to add a link to that story for you to read more. I was touched and very much encouraged that after we met oh so briefly there, Taylor wanted Fox Fodder Farm to join Slow Flowers as a member. Her support only served to increase my interest in learning more about her and her floral enterprise. So you're the lucky recipient of my curiosity. Enjoy our conversation. I know it is just the first of many I'll have with Taylor as she's pivoting to something new and exciting for Fox Fodder Farm. And I'll circle back to visit that next year. 
Visit DeborahPrinzing.com to see photos of Taylor, Fox Potter Farm, and the flowers, and find links to follow her on social media. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce you to Taylor Patterson of Fox Fodder Farm. Hi, Taylor. Hi. And you're technically New York-based or Brooklyn-based? What do you like to say? Uh, we are New York-based. Okay. Um, we're currently operating out of the city, but moving to Brooklyn soon. However, our clientele spans from Manhattan to Brooklyn. So. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, we'll talk a little. Slash anywhere. Right now, we're in like Soho somewhere in an yeah. office, a mm-hmm. borrowed office. A borrowed okay. office. <laughs> Where are the flowers? I haven't seen them yet, but we are going to show you uh, photos of Taylor's work and her flowers and her designs. And be sure to visit DebraPrinzing.com to see those for today's episode. But first of all, I want to hear Taylor's story. We met um, through uh, our good friends at Rose Story Farm at yes. a, a fun workshop called The Gathering Rose that uh, D- Danny Hahn of Rose Story Farm and Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flower um, put on this past spring. Um, in March or April and March, March. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, they invited me to come as a, as a guest to sort of tell the story. And there is a story from that workshop that isn't ran a couple months ago in florist review. So I will share the link to that. But, uh, Taylor was one of the fun people that I met, uh, for that quick 24 hour visit. And when I was coming to New York, I decided to invite myself to meet up with her for a story. So I'm really interested in what you're doing. You have a name that has farm in it. Do people think you're a farmer florist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people think I'm a farmer florist, and they're always like, so where's the farm? Um, but the name comes from the the small farm in Delaware where I grew up. Oh, and that's wonderful. I, yeah, and when I started kind of doing flowers, working in plants, I had a, um, I had a stand at the Brooklyn Flea like 10 years ago selling potted plants in, a, mm. in mason jars, and I needed a name. And um, my mom at the time... We have a lot of chickens, and she'd been selling the eggs to her friends. And she had this stamp made that said Fox Fodder Farm. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, it's my side hustle. <laughs> like, well, I need that stamp, Mom. And I was like, that's really funny. And I just took it. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, at the time, I don't think I imagined that Fox Fodder Farm would be what it is today. Um, and so as a, you know, floral studio, I guess it can be a little deceiving deceiving but um you know I think the term farm it encompasses you know a work it encompasses like uh like many different facets Mm -hmm. of work Mm -hmm. in my in my opinion Mm -hmm. so I like the idea um that you know in a lot of ways we're not farm in the traditional sense but we're you're hustling we're hustling you're hustling as a farmer yeah (laughs) actually I have just a lot of chickens with their heads cut off (laughs) running around (laughs) so you grew up in Delaware I grew up in Delaware so um just as an aside I have to say uh Soul Flowers as kind of a community has been um growing for about six or seven years and the only state where we do not have a member is Delaware so you have to help me find a flower farmer or a florist to lure them in the only it's like a little game for me I know the only people that I, and this is not, I mean, they're not even small potatoes, is um, Steyer's Peonies, but they're mm. in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. 
which yeah, is a lot like of, 10 minutes. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Pennsylvania people do business in, mm-hmm. Del- in Delaware, yeah. and I've run into that. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm just throwing it out there to the universe. You know, we'll find somebody, Anybody I'm sure. Anybody in Delaware, I should probably start. <laughs> yes, you should. Is your family's farm still there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's still, my parents are still there. Um, it's like about 14 acres. And I've, I've pitched the idea a number of times. Always to be received with a like a raised eyebrow and my mom going, eh, it's not yeah, yeah. Like, and it's not quite close enough for you to like run down there on the weekends exactly yeah yeah okay well let's talk about a, a fox fodder farm and in here in Manhattan mm-hmm. what give give a snapshot of the business um, you're basically I, I feel like you have a lot of, of services that you provide mm-hmm. yeah. all very much design driven that's yes. sort of the, the the brand right mm-hmm. yeah we are. There's three, there's kind of three main areas of the business, um, the way that it operates today. Um, the probably 50% is our events weddings. Mm -hmm. Um, however, we did take a little bit of a, we pulled the reins a little bit on the weddings the past few years, but I think we'll be picking those up again. Um, and then the other part, we do weekly accounts. So we do flowers for a lot of restaurants, stores, um, like every single blue bottle cafe in the city, of which wow. there's always a new one every week. What is that? It's just blue a bottle. It's a it's a coffee company. Um, offices. So we have about forty different weekly accounts, um, and some of those are on site installations. Some of them are drop offs. Mm-hmm. Um, it varies. And then we've been growing this year our delivery business. So doing flower delivery. Mm. Um, and we have a bunch of different options on our website. Well, I was going to say, your website is set up so beautifully, and Thank I hate you. to use the over, overly used word curate, but you have these collections, it seems, that are based on their stylistic mm-hmm. or their size or maybe the type of vase. Mm-hmm. How do you organize those? Because that they there seems like you, that could be ordered mo- on a mobile app or mm-hmm. a mobile uh, yeah. platform or on the computer. Yeah. No, they're all so the web shop this year was something that I wanted to invest a lot in because I felt like in terms of flower delivery out there, it was hard to find something that gave you a bespoke experience, mm-hmm. but also gave you the option of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of websites that I saw that had flowers, it was like, here's this red thing or white or this or this it, I don't know they're just nothing that like I would want to buy mm-hmm. a little so, bit more um maybe standardized it's standard or, it's very standardized which, you know yeah. in a way I understand because it it's safe but um I think it also limits the aesthetic and the potential for like neat and interesting designs and also the potential for using really great material mm-hmm. so the ways are the way ours is structured is we have three sizes of like a seasonal and that is, um, it changes obviously with the season and, um, uh, the color people can ask a color palette, but most of the time they don't. And it's usually, you know, it's the best of what we can get at that exact moment. Right. And that's the, that's the point of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have one that's called the FFF signature, which is a bit more of like a modern architectural one. That's more minimalist. Um, again, trying to use you know, what's like in season, um, at the time. And then we have, I mean, we have like an all orchid option Yes, and then we have like a big bloom option, which like in the spring was like all peonies and and this fall is like all dahlias. And in the winter we kind of use roses because that's what's the most Mm -hmm. readily available until Mm -hmm. like early spring when the start. But, 
Um, you had an Anthurium one too, and we have you? an Anthurium mm-hmm. one, yeah, which is yeah. probably a little bit more on the modern side. That's more on the modern yeah. side, yeah. So, so how do you um, manage? Okay, so backing up, mm-hmm. that gallery of options, is it mainly for your deliveries or do your weekly uh, customers also Some choose from it? Some of our that? weekly customers choose from it, but mostly it's for our deliveries. Okay. Um, because I was just trying to think of a way that we could, again, provide the like the level of design that is I feel like is important to yeah. maintaining the brand mm-hmm. um, and the quality of service of the brand, but then also introducing people to either new flowers or, um, yeah, new flowers, new materials, new way of kind of yeah. looking at things. And then over time, they're kind mm-hmm. of trained to trust you and yeah. just order a price point or a mm-hmm. size and exactly. let, let you interpret that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how is it doing deliveries in Manhattan? It must be cray-cray. It's pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> How do you do it? Is um, we have a kid. We send him on the train. <laughs> He's gotten really good at carrying like four at a time. Uh, yeah, we send. I mean, we're not doing such crazy volume that we need a massive truck to right. send everything out. Right. Um, I mean, every time you go up to the next level, you're dealing yeah. with more logistics mm-hmm. and costs. Yeah. Right. So yeah. right now, it's just we. I mean, we're all. Like I'll t- I'll take them sometimes. It really depends. Really, whoever is available. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have a, you have thirty minutes free right now. <laughs> Need you take this delivery. Grab these flowers. Yeah. And do you t- tend to go on Mondays to like, to your uh, corporate client corporate clients or your residential clients? We we're pretty much uh, the accounts are are they're every day of the week. Wow. But we have a separate team. So got it. Um, you know, the company is owned by me, but there are. There's five of us who are full time, and then um, there's like five other freelancers throughout the wow. week that wow. are just working on different parts. Right, it's um, like you're expanding and yeah. contracting depending on mm-hmm. yeah. the job. Yeah. And then um, you mentioned um, the weddings and events, and mm-hmm. I'm just curious about. I mean, in the summer, that's even more more insane, probably. Seasonally. It's kind of crazy because our I feel like our schedule is the opposite. And this is maybe something that I just like unconsciously push towards because I like summer. Uh, our summer is like not that crazy. Mm. July and August are really mellow. And then obviously September picks up and is really busy. But we're really, we're busiest September pretty much through March. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got squeezed in here on a Friday. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have a wedding yeah. tomorrow. No, we don't. We don't. It's so interesting, but I guess, again, if you're um, putting all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. with weddings, mm-hmm. then that, maybe that would be a panic, but mm-hmm. you're still doing no. all these deliveries during July yeah, and August. Yeah, we're doing all these deliveries, and then, and then we still also have our weekly accounts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why also it's like our September through March is always very busy because it's like our weekly accounts is various corporate offices, restaurant groups, you know, there's so much stuff happening with them and we're, we're doing so much business with them that it's, um, yeah, we're not, it's, it's always return. It's return business. And it's interesting too, because New York does kind of quiet down in the core of the summer where people Mm -hmm. are, so even the Mm -hmm. restaurants must experience that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Um, I'm just so fascinated with your story. I, I love your aesthetic and I love that you, um, have, it sounds like just from our previous conversations, you have a great sourcing strategy. You're you're obviously start with local, but you have sources 
in other states that mm-hmm. are shipping to you. And I'm just, I know you mentioned roses, but talk, can you talk a little bit about where mm-hmm. your flowers come from? Yeah. Um, so when I started working in flowers, um, obviously New York, uh, New York's 28th street market is a really special place. I feel like even though, um, there's various flower markets all over the country, uh, New York for me is still actually San Francisco is really great. Yeah. Um, but it's just, that's different though. It's all it's under one different. roof. It's all, yeah. yeah. It's all under one roof. There's just something like crazy about New York. And it's like, you know, these guys, they've just, I started, I guess I'm in my eighth year now, but you know, they've moved locations. Some have merged together and then they split apart. Um, and, uh, you develop these really beautiful relationships with all the vendors there. And I, I think, you know, in my early years, like I just, um, I learned a lot from them, mm-hmm. the various, like the guys mm-hmm. from Dutch, um, G page, 28 street wholesale, just learned a lot about where the flowers were coming from in general. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like how how the whole kind of industry works. I thought it was fascinating, mm. and so so they were generous with sharing that information. So with generous, young yeah, newcomer. yeah. It's like I'm like, where are these branches from? And they're like South Jersey, and I'm like, okay, well, where's this from? He's like, this is from California. Well, where's this from? And I was always really interested in where things were mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And with my staff now, it's they have this like list of things. I have a list of questions that they always have to ask. It's like, well, a how much does it cost? Because budget, but I'm like. And then I was like, you cannot get anything that you don't know where it's from. Mm -hmm. I was like, even if you've decided to buy something and it's Japanese, if I ask you, hey, where's that like smoke bush from? And you can't tell me it's like, it's a problem. Game over. Yeah. Yeah. So I always just like, I was always really interested in terms of where things come from. And so today, um, that's a big part of the conversation that we have at Fox Art Farm. It's like, where are we getting things from? Um, you know, if we're getting anemones from Dutch and it's, they're coming from Holland, but it's anemone season. Why are we getting anemones from Dutch when we can get anemones from like Hatau or mm-hmm. somewhere else? Somebody even though, closer to Exactly. And yeah. even though the Hatau ones are probably going to be like 75 more cents more expensive, they're in a lot of ways they're better and they're stronger and they, they look nicer. And it's like, you know, you use less, you lose, you, you, the, you, yeah. you lose less. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like the value is a part of the equation, yeah. not exactly. just the ticket price. Exactly. I, that's a really good point. And I think sometimes people, when, when I don't, I get into these conversations mm-hmm. about what, what's, you know, how much does that cost? Yeah. And I'm like, we can't only talk about cost mm-hmm. with the dollar price. It's got to yeah. be about longevity, freshness, transportation. And if it's local, it's, yeah. it is going to be probably less going into the shrink. Yeah, exactly. And I That's remember, I remember a few years ago, somebody who's in the industry had, it was, we were having a conversation. He was really, he was asking me if I ordered direct from Holland and I was like, no, um, I was like, no, and he was like, you really should be because he's like, you can get these daffodils for like 10 cents on the stem and you can get this. And he's like, you know, you can get so much volume. And I, I was just thinking, I was like, okay, well my business, I don't need volume. And also like, yeah, you're not mass, you're yeah, not a big box. I'm not a big box. And also like these things that when they arrive to me, then they're like super tight. I don't know. I don't know what I'm actually going to get from that quantity that I can use mm-hmm. It all just seemed really messed up to me. So, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I think for me, the quality is, whether it is coming from Holland, Japan, California, New York, you know, it's just focusing on what the quality is and really, you know, being very particular about uh, what you buy and how you buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're the principal buyer or purchaser uh, mm-hmm. for the business. So yeah. you're making those really important decisions and hopefully your staff is yeah, learning Yeah, I am the principal buyer, but everybody, um, we have like one person who's basically in charge of buying for our little retail component mm-hmm. right now. But she's also in charge of buying for all of the deliveries. So she's, I mean, she, she, but I don't touch that. She mm-hmm. buys for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knows to ask where everything's <laughs> from. <laughs> well, you mentioned doing roses yeah. uh, in the winter. So is that mm-hmm. where you were partnering with Roastery Farm or other mm-hmm. farms? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, per- we purchased our roses like strictly from Rose Story because I, I'm a very little person and I, I love them. Um, but they go but, dormant in the winter, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So we purchase from them for events and like some deliveries until they can't. Right. But um, we we usually buy from Dutch, mm. the roses that mm. we, and wherever they're getting them from. Mm-hmm. And this is like something that I think about a lot is like with our wholesalers, like a company like Dutch, who are operating with like mostly imported products. Yeah, they're kind of global buyers. They're right? global yeah. buyers. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well if we're buying from Dutch, like we're really not doing our due diligence and buying local, you know, but at the same time like Dutch is a for us is a local business. They're providing you with a service as yeah. well. You know, I, I just had this conversation with somebody at an, an event. She said, Well I want to join Slow Flowers, but I don't know if I qualify because I am not one hundred percent domestic sourcing. And I said that's that's a lofty goal, and mm-hmm. a lot of people can meet that, but their business model has been designed to mm-hmm. reflect that. Other people, it, maybe it's just great to have that as a subset or like a yeah. niche, one niche of your many, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, I, I, I don't want to be the flower police. I think whenever we can source um, domestically, it's wonderful, but like you said, it's your relationship-based, and you have a, a long history with somebody who you know is going to have your back and yeah. always have flowers. And yeah. That's, there's something and they to be get for that. great local stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and they're able to support local farmers in a way that like I can, if I'm right. just like trying to buy from them. Yeah. So that's I think true. it's, it's trying to find what I think the thing that I've been, that I think about a lot, it's like the balance and like, what is the balance? Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation that we have a lot, um, amongst the, the Fox Water Farm team is like just, Making sure that, again, you're thinking about what you're buying and where you're buying it from and having an intention with that. Yeah. Are you ever able to go out to farms and actually forage yourself or, or harvest yourself or buy direct from, I don't yeah. know, Hudson Valley mm-hmm. or Long Island? Yeah, or we have in the summer, uh, we work with Tiny Hearts oh, Farm. Yeah. They deliver shifts every Wednesday and I love them. Um, Tread Light is another one. Uh, Vanishing Point Farm is another one. Uh, Deborah Bear Creek, another one. Um, I'm trying to think the main ones that we would. Those are the people that we have the, probably the strongest relationships with, um, and mostly because they deliver to the city. River Garden, um, but she's got a pretty. She works. She's at the farmers market, mm. so, so you can go there. And so you can go out. there. Yeah. yeah, but that just boils down to the reality of your business is that. Um, you you have to have people who can deliver to you. We have to have people yeah. who can deliver to us. And I think a, a thing that I've noticed 
that is missing is that very few of the wholesale vendors at on 28th Street are able to sell local product mm-hmm. because and very few of the farmers are able to sell their product to the wholesale market because they can't meet at the price points right. that each of them requires. Right. So, and that's one reason why the ones yeah. who can deliver to you yeah. are can stay competitive on Exactly. Price. Yeah. Yeah. So um Tiny Hearts, for example, they have a delivery minimum, which I've told Luke is way too low. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you need to raise your prices, man. Um, oh, that's yeah. maybe it's just because they're delivering to enough yeah. customers well, that it's they, justified. Exactly. So he's, I mean, they they deliver to a bunch of people throughout the city, and they're so great. Um, and they're, but, more, they're more mature in their farm than mm-hmm. some of the other farms, mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. yeah. And they've, they've been at it for eight years, so they have the infrastructure in mm-hmm. place to be able to provide that. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been farms in Hudson Valley who have kind of, like, banded together and are, like, you know, bringing down stuff together. Like, Tiny Hearts did. Um, they got together with, like, another farm that's close to them. And so... Shared that, transportation. Shared transportation, yeah. which I think is a big thing yeah. that I really hope to see more of. Um, I, I had Jenny yeah. and Luke on the podcast earlier this year, and they when they opened their store, and mm-hmm. we talked about some of those creative collaborations yeah. that happen kind of by necessity. Yeah, have to happen. I haven't asked you your path to flowers. I want to know how you how I got here. Yeah, yeah. How you got from <laughs> Delaware to well, Soho? I feel like it's such a boring story. It's the same one that everyone tells, but no, no. It's going to have your own take on no, it. Okay. Well, I was working in. Um, I mean, if I go really far back, I had, I used to work a, in an office that was above a flower shop in France, like, years ago. And, like, my first interest ever in working in flower... No. Oh, my God. It goes even farther back. My Good. first job ever was in a flower shop. <laughs> How old were you? I was probably 12. Okay. It was called Wild Time. Um, T-H-Y-M-E, of course. In uh, Centerville... Pennsylvania, and it's from by owned by a woman named Laurie DeGrazzi, who is like a family friend. Um, I've known my whole life, and she's she's actually married to Richard, who owns Steyer's Peonies. Okay, um, but this was like, preordained. Yeah, from age it was 12. like first. It was always I always loved going in that store. She has such an she has such amazing taste and such an amazing eye, and she always had the coolest things. Um, so I worked for her a little bit, like here and there throughout the summers, and then. Um, uh, the Paris part is boring. But when I came to New York, I um, got, I was working as a waitress mm-hmm. and I was kind of in a, in a transition period of just like not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I started working for a landscape designer because I really enjoyed gardening. It was something that was very familiar to me. Both my parents are big plant geeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just being in the city and feeling very unsettled. It was something that was felt very settling. So. Yeah. Some nature involved in that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I can dig holes. Yes. I will happily spend eight hours a day digging holes. So I was doing that one summer. And then when winter came, um, I asked the florist who was doing the weekly flowers at the restaurant I was working at, like, if they ever needed help. And so. Oh, yeah. Very fun. Because I was like, that. I like that. I was like, that seems like a job I was, you know, like a retirement plan job, but like the, <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, And so I got a job there and I was with this woman. Her name's Veronica Cicero. She's she's now based in um, Miami, but we were working for another company 
and uh, her and I were kind of in charge of accounts. So she was in charge of the weekly accounts, and I was just like her sidekick. And she for all for flowers for flowers servicing yeah restaurants. servicing restaurants stores mm. all the thing how cool and she's feisty Venezuelan and I learned I mean I learned like everything from her and um, and then I started like kind of doing some stuff on my own getting more interested and aware of like what other people were doing it was around the time that like Sarah from Saipua was like really starting to like kick into gear and um, you know myself like so many were just like enamored. Mm-hmm. And like this is about around what like 2012 or yeah. 10. Yeah. Yeah. And um actually I think when I first yeah. found out about Sarah there was a uh when the New York Times did an article about mm-hmm. the little flower school yeah. it was 2010. So I remember reading that article and one of my friends who owns like the sweetest little garden boutique in Seattle called me up and she's like, "Okay, we're going to do this." <laughs> and you know, yeah. that's how impactful that that what Sarah and Nicolette Nicolette were doing. doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think what they, those two particular, and I, you know, it comes so much influence too by what Ariella was doing as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, they started a whole movement. I mean, there was like a wave of us Brooklyn girls just all of a sudden being like, Oh, I'm going to open like a flower studio. (laughs) I mean, the people at the market would be like, Oh, the book, the Brooklyn girls. Uh-huh. I think there were like 10 of us. Oh my that just gosh. Like yeah. Flooded the scene all at once. And there was maybe motivated by some of the same, uh, aesthetic values, but you all yeah. were doing your own spin on it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very much motivated. I think by the same aesthetic values, like wanting to like this, like garden, natural, whimsical, non-corporate stuff, mm-hmm. aesthetic. Um, and everybody very much like grew into their own, their own version of that. Um, you know, it was like Liza from Pear Tree, Ariel Deary, um, Amy Merrick, like who else? Who else was there at the time? Uh, Brittany from Birch. She's gone in a different direction very much. Um, some of, yeah, I mean, some, yeah. some of them aren't even really in flowers yeah, anymore. Yeah, Amy's like an accidental forest, as she calls herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was yeah. a period of time. It's sort of nice to go back and have that as your touchstone to yeah. say, okay, you're solid about, you know, your where your influences were mm-hmm. yeah. even though they were back to your age 12 self as well <laughs> yeah um yeah so it's like I just started kind of paying attention that way and then my uh boyfriend at the time was he worked in fashion and just it was very much like a luck of networking mm-hmm. I feel that I was able to get some early jobs that then were able to get me other jobs and then grow from mm-hmm. there Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, you had, had, did you actually have a studio name or had, were well, you just it was, Fox, it, it was Fox Potter Farm because I was also simultaneously had that little stand at the Brooklyn Flea. Selling your selling plants. plants. I love that. So it all just sort of blended yeah. together and yeah. then the, the stand went away. Um, well, you probably yeah. ran out of time. I mean, that's like yeah. selling at a farmer's market, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you have the studio and you've got the weeklies and the delivery service. And then you've alluded a little bit to your pop-up retail space. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that and what, what that's going to be like? Yeah. I mean, well, the pop-up that we have right now, it's on canal and it's part of the canal street market. And it was initially meant to be an experiment. I was like, sure. We'll just like see about this retail thing. How and long ago did you open it? Two years. Okay. Two years. So um, it wasn't a holiday thing. It was just clearly a little, 
well, we're going to go see it, yeah. so I'll take pictures. But yeah. the, the space became available. The space became, well, it was, the Canal Street Market was a concept that um, my friend Daisha was working on at the time, and she brought us in. She was like, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a coffee shop, a magazine area, Office Magazine is, like, curating a little newsstand, um, uh, and we want to do a, they want to do a flower shop in there, and, like, I want you to do it. And so um, I was like, and the vendors at the time that were the opening vendors were people that we were kind of all very much in the same, uh, I guess, swimming in the same stream mm-hmm. in a way. Um, like like you, you, there was yeah, like Fort Standard and like does it, like Fort Standard was a company there. Um, uh, who else? Sounds like there were people you were happy just, to be aligned yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was like more people that we were. Yeah, I mean it's shifted since then. Um, but, um, it was great. I mean, it was exciting. It was like fun to be part of that opening. And I don't think, I thought we would probably stay for like a year and now it's been two. Um, and it's been a really good growing experience because in that, and because its location is so close to trains and everything, we were able to, uh, really expand our delivery service and build that. Which sort of just gave you that, that hub. Do you need to get that? No. So also, it's not that you didn't really know retail, but I'm sure it was a lot different than selling plants. It was a lot different than selling plants. It was just, it was a different model altogether because I had um, a studio and be, and we were sort of like weekly account-based and event-based for so long. So mm-hmm. I had this retail component and like having to maintain that was a big learning curve. Um, Do you think I, it helped your brand? I think in a lot of ways it did. It did, it did help us to... Uh, reach more people mm-hmm. I think um, and I yeah and there was a place for people to come and like visit physically visit which I felt um, even though I you know even though it was really small I, I feel like was valuable for, yeah. for some yeah. so yeah and so um, it, that is uh, ongoing but it's, it's ongoing it's, yeah and it's like a little kiosk and then um we moved our studio to the, the basement of Canal Street Market, and that was also supposed to be temporary, but that's now been a year and a half, and if you ask anybody at my staff, they're like, what's sunlight? Um, and also, how much <laughs> stuff do you have to haul up and down all, the stairs? Everybody's got really great butts. Yeah. Just walking up and down those stairs all the time. With buckets of water. With buckets of water. Yes. Yeah. So Super there's no, no elevator? No. I mean, there is, but we don't really use it. Everyone's in really good shape. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of the the, yeah. the hidden silver lining of that cloud. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh! But you yeah. mentioned that you have something new right. coming along. Yes. Yeah, so, um, in moving our studio to the Canal Street basement, I was also looking for a new studio opportunity space, and I had anticipated doing that in Manhattan, and then this uh, space in Brooklyn came became available. Or was presented to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a broker approached me and um, proposed a space in Williamsburg. And um, originally, I was like, no, because retail, I just moved to Manhattan. I just moved to Manhattan, yeah. and also like commercial retail in Williamsburg is so expensive. And I was looking. He sent me the proposal, and um, and I was just like looking at the square footage price, and I was like, he's crazy if he thinks I can afford thirty k in rent. Like, mm-hmm. guy's out of his mind. So I went and um, looked at this one space, 
And I was, he caught me on a day and I was like, sure, I'll go look at it, whatever. I'll get a coffee and like have a time. Um, but I looked at it and I was like, this is all well and good. But like, I was like 30K a month, is, I can't afford it. He was like, I don't know where you got that number. <laughs> and I was just like, well, that's well, what you said. It's this much a square foot. And he was like, it's 30K a year. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> I was just, you know, at that, I was like, oh, do you have anything bigger? Wow. So uh, we looked at this other space that was on the other side of the, the building. And um, yeah, and I was just like, I'd been, I'd been toying with this idea of how I wanted to move forward and what I wanted for the future of Fox Powder Farm. And I, I knew that it involved having a space where people could come and we could provide uh, education and experience in the flowers that, in the way that we experience mm-hmm. it. And um, I knew that that was going to require some square footage. That is so exciting. Yeah. And so you said it's in Williamsburg. It's in Williamsburg. Okay. It's um, it's currently under construction, but we're due to open hopefully in the next couple months. Mm. And um, it's going to be uh, work, our working studio. Um, we're going to keep the studio here because of the convenience of it for being in Manhattan. But, sure. Um, we're going to do a lot of our operations out of there. It's going to be open floor plans, so anybody who comes in, um, there'll be a retail component, retail flower component, but anybody who comes in can kind of, like, see how we operate. Wow. Um, and It's almost like going yeah. to the sushi bar and sitting at the bar and watching what they're doing. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like open it's kitchen engagement. concept, mm-hmm. and you're, like, sitting at, yeah, the bar at the, you know, in your restaurant and, like, looking at the kitchen. Um, because I just feel like there had been kind of this, like, like, people are like, how do you how do you do this? And it's like, for me, I'm like, oh, it's so easy. But, um, but maybe when they see it, they'll value what, yeah. why it costs what it costs. Why it costs what it costs. Because that's, I mean, that's a great point. I just had a woman today come into our little shop and she asked about some dahlias that Tiny Hearts had actually delivered. And they're beautiful. These like beautiful, like they weren't the, um, I can't remember the name. They weren't like peaches and cream, but they were like the orange with the white Mm -hmm. tips. Mm -hmm. Big heads, long stems, so beautiful. And I was like, I think they're like five. I think we're doing it for $5 a stem. And she looked at me like I was crazy and was like, that's insane. Wow. And I was like, okay. And she walked away. And it's just like. Do you know what went into that beautiful diet? Do you know what went into this beautiful diet? And what this mass market, um, just this, yeah, it's like mass consumption. It's like the consumerism of it. Um, even my friends were always like, oh my God, these flowers are so expensive. And I was like, go get your sushi at the bodega then. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, buying your flowers, buying cheap flowers is like buying cheap cheap food. Right. Um, right. And you really have to still yeah, assert like, that, yeah. that uh, belief. Well, you don't have to be convinced, but you have yeah. to own it so that... Yeah. You can persuade others to understand. And I think once people are made aware of and just like it's presented like that, it's like you start to think about things differently. I've been thinking about flowers in a lot of the way that like the, um, you know, conversation has shifted around food and Mm -hmm. how people are becoming way more aware and conscious and concerned about where their food comes from. And, um, you know, understanding that like if you're going to go to the farmer's market and buy this heirloom tomato, it might cost you $10 for that tomato, but you're buying that tomato because you know 
all you know that it's organic it's heirloom yeah. it's grown yeah. by this farmer right you, know, you can have a relationship with it and it's gonna last you five minutes because and you're gonna you're enjoy it. it yeah you're gonna enjoy it in that moment in time you're enjoy just... it and just let that be and guess what? That flower will last longer than that the tomato. It's actually going to last you longer than the tomato. <laughs> exactly. And so, oh, so I think true. it's just like shifting the shifting the way. Not shifting, but yeah, shifting. Helping I, people I, to shift the way that they perceive things. Well, like with, with that as the backdrop, I do think this new space sounds really exciting because it will um, almost like pull back the curtain a little bit. That's the, that's with, the hope. With your education, yeah. whether I don't know if you've mm-hmm. thought that far ahead, you've got to get this yeah. thing opened, but yeah, maybe in 2020. <laughs> no, but we, we intend to do uh, workshops. I would like it to become, um, I've talked to Luke about this and a couple of the other farmers we work with about maybe it becomes the drop-off point for farmers in the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. um, when it's not... I'm not interested in making money off mm-hmm. of them, so I would like—I would just like to provide a space where they can actually get their product mm-hmm. to the city, and more people can participate in buying it, and um, you know, getting just getting that all in, all working. Yeah. And I'll worry about how to like make money from it later. Yeah. But the model is yeah. happening in other markets, so yeah. I'll have to tell you about that a little bit. Well, yeah, but. I know that there's in Rhode Island, and then like the Colorado Flower Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto has it. Toronto has it. Now yeah. Oakland, yeah. And Oakland has it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I yeah. agree with you that, like, if in the spirit of trying to create a central mm-hmm. hub, it will. I think it will eventually benefit you financially, at least it cover your costs. Like, yeah, exactly. And I just, I think, you know, being in New York and being kind of at the center of what the general public pays attention to, mm-hmm. it's we're not it's it would be irresponsible to not start thinking like this i would love to support you in that because i agree i feel like coming from media i totally agree with you the the what happens here gets a lot more attention maybe than some other markets so in a way there's both a wonderful opportunity but also a responsibility to kind of tell that story correctly exactly and i don't think that like this idea like like we you were saying there's a lot of flower collectives that are doing this and so i'm not um I'm not naive in thinking that, like, oh, wow, I came up with this brilliant idea. I totally understand that's been done before. No, no, but, you're but fac- you might facilitate but, something. But, yeah, but no one here, no one that I know who's here is, like, thinking about doing that. This has been discussed for over five years. Yeah. Uh, at least from conversations I've had with, the, you know, various floors, mm-hmm. many of whom aren't even really in business anymore. You know, people yeah. come and go with these, these ambitious ideas, and maybe the way you've grown your business organically um, has has is going to serve you well you know you can't do it all every, mm-hmm. every single year you're kind of building up to this yeah how big is the new space going to be it's 1800 square feet mm-hmm. yeah that sounds great i can't wait yeah. to visit it. i'm really excited i think return. it'll be good and like we have i have the foundation of the business is strong that we can kind of take these risks and do this um you know take i don't want to say like the risks that come with acting responsibly but we can afford to be more responsible. Yeah, you have a it's little not, bit of wiggle yeah. room. And, um, you know, it was really great. Um, I did this, Carolina Herrera is a big client of ours, and we did a lot of work with them for their store relaunch, mm. and we used strictly Bear Creek flowers. Wow. And everybody that, it was all Bear Creek dahlias, and, um, and everybody who worked there became aware of that because it was like they were like where are you getting these from? so visually like, impactful they, yeah, they so had to ask impactful. yeah and they're like where are these flowers coming from and i was like they're from a place called bear creek and now 
No, it was just like, they were like, oh. And they're like, oh my gosh, these are local? And I was like, yes, they're local. And they were just like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, across the board, it's Brilliant. not just like somebody shopping at the farmer's market. It could be these massive corporations that really do are like holding, placing value on the sourcing or like where Absolutely. the materials are coming from versus just being like making sure that it looks pretty. That's so cool. Is Can you share photos of that opening? Yeah. Oh, I'd love yeah, to. I'd love some. to give people a, a peek. I at have that. my like terrible iPhone photos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody yeah. photographed it. At I mean, some point. I know that it was in like Women's Wear Daily. Oh, so, all right. We'll yeah. we'll hunt around for I'll, that. I'll get them. I just love that idea that you know here you have a couture uh, fashion client who's also valuing the couture flowers. Yeah. I mean that it's back to that you know they weren't going to just go get Trader Joe's flowers. They, no. They had to have a certain elevated. Yeah. Um, presentation yeah, and, and like, you did that for the them. These are the best dahlias that are available on the East Coast as far as I'm concerned. Like I couldn't have anything shipped in better. Like nothing would have been no, better. They couldn't have been shipped yeah, anyway. They yeah. couldn't have been shipped anyway and like nothing could have been better than those flowers mm. for this occasion. Oh, they cool. were the best of the best and so um, that's just one of many examples I'm sure. That's just I'm one sure. of many yeah. examples. I think there is and I'm just like thinking about this now. I do think there is some this like misconception, people thinking local, they immediately associate it with rustic, and sure, the more farmers market, more farmers yeah. market, less like elevated high design. Um, you know, obviously, like Emily Thompson, for example, is somebody who's like very local focused, and her designs are insane, and she operates at like an extremely high level, but she's. There's only one, Emily Thompson. Right, right. Yeah. And she's a different, your aesthetic yeah. is different. Yeah, and she, and she operates at a different level than most. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so. That's cool. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I'm glad that there's more of you doing this mm -hmm. level because uh, back to this conversation yeah. we had before we turn on the recorder, you can't just have one celebrity in every, you know, exactly. every genre because yeah. then it's not seen as a shift or a wave yeah. or I mean, this is a big change. Yeah. And no, I'm I think it's great. I mean, there was a panel it. a while ago with her and uh, Shane Connery yeah. speaking, and mm -hmm. it was really great. I mean, because obviously, like, he is also amazing. Um, but, you know, just the two of them together talking about their process and, yeah. like, their, their focus on using, like, responsibly sourced local or organic flowers was, um, you know, for the level of their clientele. It's really, it's like, yes, right. This is, like, yeah. this is a thing that should be celebrated in the media versus, like, What's the cool new, who's like the hot new florist? Or like, what's the cool new design? Mm -hmm. I was like, why? I was like, this is a conversation that we yeah. need to be having. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm really glad that you were willing to sit down and talk about this with me because I feel like um, the more voices who are weighing in on this mm -hmm. um, are influencing, well, just hearing who your clients are, how you're influencing everyone who's from the $75 daily, you know, weekly yeah. delivery client to the large installation you're giving the same level of design mm -hmm. and thoughtful sourcing. So it's, it can't help but get better. Yeah. So, so next year I'll visit and I'll get to come see you yeah. out in Williamsburg and, um, that'll be fun. And, uh, people can, we'll make sure we share Taylor's social feeds so everyone can find and follow her if you haven't already. And, um, I just thank you so much for thank sitting you. down with me. Yeah. Thanks for letting me just rant on. Rant I, on. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you so much.
you so much for joining my conversation today with Taylor Patterson of Fox Fodder Farm. As with most of my interview subjects and topics, I'm not always sure what direction the themes will take. The wonderful dialogue with Taylor left me thinking about the power of female leadership in our floral marketplace, the power to use beauty to influence sustainable choices, ethical flower farming, and a bold independence in such a crowded and cluttered marketplace. I hope you draw at least one idea from my interview with Taylor to employ or consider for your flower farmer studio. It's a privilege to consider bringing fresh voices and new perspectives to this forum, and I'm so glad that you joined me. And a program note, you may remember this past May when I featured my mystery writer friend, Marty Wingate, in episode 402. In that episode, we discussed her forthcoming new series, and the first book in her first edition series was released this past week. You can order The Bodies in the Library by Marty Wingate from all online booksellers or find a copy in your local independent bookstore or library. I'll share a link to that interview in case you missed it. Marty has two other British garden and nature-themed mystery series as well, which you'll want to check out. So proud of my friend, and remember, you've met her here first, here at the Slow Flowers Podcast. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farmers to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. You can learn more at farmersweb.com. Now, let's visit Rhode Island and meet Julie Christina of Christina Flower Co. as we continue the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Julie is a floral designer with an emphasis on local and seasonal plant materials. The end result is a unique and earthy and refined aesthetic. Hailing from Ohio, Julie first fell in love with nature, plants, and all things garden-related when exploring her family's 10-acre property as a child. This love of the outdoors stuck with her as she went on to pursue a Bachelor of Science in Landscape Horticulture from Ohio State University, where she was able to study horticulture and garden design, as well as explore some of the finest English-style gardens abroad at Myers Co. College in England. Julie has an impressive career in horticulture and public gardens, including, since 2008, serving as Education Program Manager at Blythewald in Rhode Island, where she is continually inspired by the history, the people who live there, and, of course, the abundant gardens. Julie has expanded Blythewald's educational offerings, which is how I first met her five years ago as a speaker and workshop leader there. Blythewald has played a huge role in her own family as she is now able to experience the full circle of sharing her and her husband Dan's love of nature with their adorable, clever, curious, and fun-loving sons, Jack and Owen. Let's jump right in and meet Julie Christina of Christina Flower Co. Well, I'm so excited today to continue our 50 States of Slow Flowers series, and we're visiting Rhode Island, and I'm delighted to introduce my friend, Julia, Julie Christina. Hi, Julie. Hello. How are you, Deborah? I'm great, and uh, it's good to reconnect. Julie Christina is the owner of Christina Flowers, based in Bristol, Rhode Island, but um, that's really the Newport area, right? That's correct, yep. Well, we were reminiscing, and... and uh, the exciting thing is that we met five years ago when Julie uh, invited me to come teach at a beautiful estate garden. Um, I don't know. How do you describe Blythewald? Sure. Well, a part of my training was actually in horticulture, 
And mm. I studied in some of the gardens in England. And when I found Blythewold, it was the closest thing that I could compare to those fabulous garden estates that we all know and love uh, in England. So it really is this beautiful, it's 33 acres, uh, gardens, grounds. And uh, that's where I got a lot of my inspiration uh, for garden design is right from the garden itself. So. Right. And when uh, you asked me to come out and teach, uh, we had a couple fun events. We had a, a like a luncheon lecture and then we also had a design workshop that was, it was about this time, I think, Julie, because it we was, were, yep, coming up in November, we had it again. We were foraging and harvesting um, beautiful uh, uh, foliages from the landscape and dried hydrangeas, as well as fresh cut flowers. Um that was great. I can't believe it was amazing. And I just wanted to share. It's funny how life comes full circle because I wanted to share what Slow Flowers was. And here I am, you know, sharing with you on, you know, your Slow Flowers Network. And so it's a huge honor. And I think I remember telling you at that time that I was just thinking about diving into the business aspect of this. And, you know, here we are today. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I I remember you were joking when you said, "Remember that drive we had? We're like racing to the for you to drop me off at a bus so I could get back to the airport in Boston or something." But we, I do remember vividly talking about your your kind of brainstorming of how you are, would be able to stay in your uh, role at Blythewald and you're in in adult education, isn't that right? Yep. So I I organize all of our horticultural programming and all the oh wow that we have here at Blythewald. So. Um, everything, you know, it really connects because I do teach classes right here at Blythewald on flower ranging or various other topics, and we bring in other speakers, you know, such as yourself. And um, that's how a lot of people sort of hear about what I do. And yeah, but at the time, you hadn't launched your actual floral design business, right? No, I think like a lot of people, you're waiting for that perfect time, or I had this dream, you know, I'm from Ohio, and I grew up on 10 acres, and I thought... If I get that plot of land, that'll be the time. But I really had to sit there and think, how can I make my own, you know, lifestyle? I work at this garden. My husband works at a garden. You know, that's kind of special in itself. And how can we make that our thing? It's really flowers from the garden, inspired by the garden. And it's not even really, I like to call it garden to vase rather than necessarily even farm to vase because Mm it's, um, you know, it's, it really opens up to a lot of interesting flowers and unusual flowers and foliages and just again that garden feel that I love that really inspired my you know love for floral design in the first place. Mm. I think that is a really unique distinction too to talk about horticulture inspired design, garden inspired design. It is a little bit, um, it's sort of definitely what drew me in, and I feel like it's a little bit of the way that people differentiate themselves. Um, because you're not just going with standard available commercially um, produced uh, flowers, although I'm sure you use some of those too, but it's the way you infuse it, right? Absolutely, and I think Rhode Island is really exceptional in this department. I mean, we have the people who are growing flowers in Rhode Island are growing incredible flowers that you would see in a garden, and Mm -hmm. places like the Floral Reserve are just these beautifully curated uh, environments where you find things that truly inspire in the same way that the garden does. I mean, you can find some really exceptional, 
you know, flowers and textures and foliages that, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's different than what you are used to seeing at a traditional flower market. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. really exciting. Yeah, for such a tiny state, there's so much agriculture. It's really, it's, it's really impressed me being from the West Coast. I think the first visit I had to Rhode Island to really plug into floral is, um, when I, uh, visited Polly and Mike Hutchison at Robin's Hollow. Amazing. And they were like seriously one of the very few first guests on this podcast. And that was oh, that's 2000. Wonderful. Yeah. Before I even met you. And, and then, she was part of your flower workshop, I think. So yeah. <laughs> I think, great. I think we actually sourced flowers from that farm. Yes. Um, and then of course, um, we've had, uh, uh Mary Kate Kinane of, um, the local bouquet, and now we're going to add another voice of from Rhode Island and have uh, you on. So I'm I'm really well, glad. It's a this. huge honor, and <laughs> I do realize that you know there are so many people you know I, who I've made a point to know to get to know, and I've taken classes with a lot of the fellow designers in Rhode Island, and you know I have utmost respect for everyone and what they do, and mm. it's, it's a big wedding industry, and mm-hmm. so. Um, I really have felt, you know, welcomed by most people, and it's a really beautiful thing to sort of have this little community. Yeah, it, it really does feel like that. Uh, so let's talk about Christina Flowers. You actually kind of launched the business, uh, like, was it about two or three years ago, and sort of form- formalizing what you were already doing? Yeah, it was two years ago. Um, I announced Christina Flower Company because I have a good friend who she did, um, she coordinated weddings. So she was a mm-hmm. wedding coordinator mm-hmm. and another great friend who had, uh, she was a photographer. And so they said, okay, it's time, you know, you need to do this style shoot and it turned out fabulous. And all these people picked it up and were promoting it. And I was like, I don't even have a business yet. So I was like, <laughs> you know what, this is just like ready or not, here we go. And, um, you know, I really, I I still do have my job. This is mm-hmm. a side hustle for me, mm-hmm. but it's always been, you know, about the flowers, about the gardens and fitting this passion of mine sort of into my existing lifestyle and who knows where it will go down the road. But, um, you know, so far it all ties together. We do a lot of weddings and events here at the garden and, uh, you know, a lot of people come to my classes here. Um, and so it's just been, it's been sort of a whirlwind. <laughs> I got invited to the first ladies luncheon and, um, you know, met a lot of other women in, uh, Slow Flowers Network. And it's just been an amazing experience so far. Sometimes That's I wonder, cool. I'm like, why, why am I doing this? But it's just a passion project. Well, I feel like you being affiliated with a, a, a well-regarded, uh, beloved public garden. I mean, Blythewood, I, I didn't, I was hesitating to call it a state garden or a public garden, but it's open to the public, but it's privately owned. Is that correct? Or is it a nonprofit? Well, it's a nonprofit organization. So it is a public garden. Okay. And, um, you know, disclaimer, I do not use any of the flowers here at Blythewood. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's so tempting when you See, the, I mean, when no, I remember, we have a fine line. You know, I re- truly respect our uh, garden staff, and I look up to them. They're incredible at what they do, and um, you know, we just are. It's truly a display garden yeah. for education, yeah. and um, so it's 
So, but we, I can take, I take clients out into the garden and say, Hey, look at this or look at that. Mm. And I get a lot of inspiration on combinations and color combinations mm-hmm. that they use. So, um, it's really just like a big playground. <laughs> you know, I might be um, mixing up my memory of being at Blythewell with my memory at, of being at a different public garden where I was allowed to clip and cut. So I, I will uh, revise what I said at the top of this, this interview. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny because we have, you know, Blythewell has evolved over over the years, and there used to be a little bit more of that on special occasion we'll do um, – classes or Gail will cut what she feels is, um, you know, appropriate. She's a horticulturist. Um, and we will use them for a class, but for the most part, that's not the case. It's sourced locally, um, yeah. from, yeah. you know, some other grower. So. And then, uh, that makes sense. And, um, Lifehold is a wedding venue, uh, though it sounds like. It is. It absolutely is. It's a huge business for us, and um, it's a gorgeous place, and we have a woman who coordinates these weddings. That's her full-time job, and she does an amazing job, Um, but I have had the pleasure of working with some of the brides, and also we do smaller functions like baby showers and corporate um, parties, and uh, those have really been a steady stream of business just doing these smaller mm-hmm. functions, which I actually love because people are a little bit more open to like, go for it. <laughs> you mentioned though that you've been doing weddings in Newport and even on the Cape. So what is kind of your market? Like how, how and where are these couples finding you? Sure. So a lot of it is through connections that I have with other vendors, such as photographers or um, wedding planners. And thanks to, uh, you know, Instagram, use those hashtags, even though Mm -hmm. I have to say I'm horrible at self-promotion, it does work. (laughs) You know, if you do one wedding at uh, at a venue and you um, and a bride is scrolling through and see something she loves, she'll get in touch with you. And Mm -hmm. she knows that you can execute her vision. So mm-hmm. that's been huge. Um, yeah. So that's amazing. And then your, um, uh, your work life balance. So I, I think we should just touch on briefly because you sure. have your children are, your children are still we have two relatively young. Boys, yes. And they are no stranger to the garden. My husband works at green animals and, um, so between the two gardens, they certainly, you know, <laughs> they they are just in the garden quite a bit, but they love it. And, you know, they'll run around and play while I'm mommy doing her flowers or, mm. you know, sometimes I'll give them a little bucket and they'll do their own little thing or, um, you know, it's, so it's really, it's really cute and they love being outside and I think they can see that it's something I enjoy. So uh, it's really been a family endeavor. My that's husband, so neat. He puts the Co and Christina Flower Co. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. The, you need somebody to support the support the corporation. <laughs> exactly. They will do some of my heavy lifting, uh, you know, someday. So <laughs> yeah, as those boys as those boys get taller than you, then you'll have you'll have exactly. a whole whole team. Well, um, you you mentioned that you're also teaching, and so I. I would love to just talk a little bit about what you've got coming up in terms. Well, is it a whole like a seasonality thing? Like throughout the 12 months of the year at Bite Twelve, there's different workshops, you know, pretty frequently. Or how, how do you absolutely? Set that up? Um, so I I do go out and teach at garden clubs and various places, but I also offer a lot of classes at Bite Twelve, 
it's a way to get people in here to see the garden, but also, um, you know, they love to sort of experience the garden in this sort of tangible way. So we do a lot of hands-on workshops, everything, you know, around the holidays, that's a huge time, everything from swags to centerpieces to different types of wreaths to mm-hmm. um, ornaments made from nature. So really anything you can think of, those are all listed on the website. I do teach a good number of them and then some of the garden staff, and then we bring in some other people as well. Um, and again, I go out to other places as well to do workshops. I just find that you know, around the holidays, people are willing to spend that money on some sort of decorations mm-hmm. and they're never as satisfying as when you can make them yourself and you can also brag to your friends. So <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of fun. And then that kind of gives you, I mean, I feel like Rhode Island is, is still has a winter, but there's a little bit of a temperate um, climate because you're near the, near the ocean. So it's not probably as harsh. December, usually through, you know, I, we've lucked out the past couple of years, but it's not, you know, really, in January and when it really gets cold, but we do events here. We have a, you know, an outdoor lit, you know, lighting display around mm. the bonfire and carolers and, you know, certainly knock on wood, there are exceptions to this rule, but, um, you know, I can still get out there and cut some greens and, um, you know, a lot of classes I start by walking people around the garden and, you know, okay, just breathe this in. Look at how these textures mix in with each other. Look at the color. Look at, feel this, get to understand what's growing in this season. And then, okay, now let's go inside and look what I have here. Can you see how that translates and how can mm-hmm. you make your arrangement look like what you just saw? So it's mm-hmm. a really, it's a fun, um, you know, place to do these design classes. Absolutely. And I'm just thinking, listening to you, like you're really kind of uh, the emissary for helping people connect uh, the garden to a floral decision that they may have, you know, that they maybe haven't thought about sourcing locally or the fact that there is so much now available from farms in Rhode Island. And I feel like that you're probably constantly able to circle that message back to you know, the the customer who comes or the patron who comes to Blythewald or the customer who's looking for event flowers. Well, thank you so much. That's a, you know, a huge compliment. And I do always, you know, when you go into a garden, you feel this sort of sense of place. And then, you know, people who don't realize flowers are important to their wedding, for instance, you know, they start to understand how doing these weddings give it also a special sense of place and it makes it just, it's Mm. it's hard to describe the feeling. Um, But when you take them into the garden, they start to understand that. And um, so it's really, it's a good way to connect them. Because they're in their head, they're imagining these, you know, flowers at the grocery store, maybe that they, you know, it doesn't really do anything for you. But when you're in the garden, you can actually feel that um, energy and just, you know, it's, um, yeah. yeah, I like that kind of in a way the the power of place then all of a sudden becomes incredibly relevant to season. And then if you if you care about those two things, of course you're going to want seasonal flowers that are close to the place you're getting married. So I mean, it's it, oh, absolutely. You want, <laughs> we have a lot of people who 
um, come to the classes that are, you know, a gardener and they're like, you know, I've been gardening and I don't know what to do with this or vice versa. I love flowers, but I don't know how to garden. And so I like to try to connect the two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. it's a great. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just, the whole time we've been talking, I've been having this little visual, uh, slideshow going through my mind's eye of the time I visited Blythewold and what a what a I will what a stunning place it was such a privilege to do that and um, I'm just I can't tell you how tickled I was when I saw that you were really going official on your floral design and um, I wish you a great success you're probably so happy the wedding season has almost wound down but it doesn't (laughs) doesn't sound like things are slowing down for you otherwise (laughs) Not really. Well, thank you. This is a huge honor, and I so appreciate what you do, and I am, it's just an, it's on, an honor to be a part of this, so thank you so much. Thank you, Julie, and let's be sure we share some photos of you and your flowers and maybe a wedding that you've designed so people can find and follow okay. you. Great. I love that. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. for joining me and you can check out photos of Julie Christina and her Rhode Island garden inspired aesthetic and her social places in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 528,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor spotlight and thanks today goes to Syndicate Sales an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.